This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode to get back into one of our favorites. Absolutely. We are back for the first time in 2020 with our Mastermind episode, joined by... Chief Investment Officer now at Berman Invest, Julia Lee. Thanks for joining us for 2020. Happy New Year and thanks for coming on the show again. Great to be here. New decade. New decade, yes. Exciting. <laughs> new decade, new stocks. Looking forward to really seeing how we can play this out over the year. We're looking at some of our returns for some of the stocks that we had chosen from last year. And let's just say we'll leave it at that. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we can have a better year this year. Although, Julia, you've done very well. <laughs> so for those that have just joined the show, welcome. Thanks for, I guess, listening and joining the journey of Equity Mates. This is perhaps one of our favorite episodes where we sit down and get to pick the brains of Julia, who is an expert in Aussie stocks and all things investing, really. The idea of the episode is that we sit down and we'll pitch a stock that we think has a great business model or we we really like what they're doing in terms of expansion or or whatever it is has drawn our traction. And then we just have a conversation and get the ideas of what I guess Ren and Julia also think of it. So should we get stuck into it, guys? Sounds good. Let's do it. Just want to point out though that this is by no means a, a buy, hold or sell recommendation episode. It is purely just to go through and expose you guys to the ways we go about researching stocks and obviously to learn from how Julia thinks about stocks and approaches it as well. So just keep that in mind. Right. Well, I guess I'll kick off 2020 with uh, a stock called City Chick Collective Limited. CCX is the ASX name. Have either of you heard of this stock before? 
Mm, yes. Of course, you have Julia. <laughs> you pitched it as your stock of the year, so I think uh, a lot of people will have heard of it at this point. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but what surprises me, Bryce, is that this is a woman's apparel group, so clothing. I, n- I never knew this side to you, but um, oh, it's no. great to, to <laughs> understand more. You learn new things about me every time we do these episodes, Julia. So, yes, so to Ren's point, I did pitch this as my stock of the year in the previous episode, but unlike Ren, who did quite a lot of due diligence for his stock of the year, I went with a bit of a a gut fear. Gut, gut feeling threw this out there. So I thought I would take this opportunity to go into a bit more detail and perhaps get Julia's thoughts on it as well. Because Julia, at the end of the year, the winner between Ren and I is up for a beer. So I've been, I think, two years running now, the winner of stock of the year. So Ren's got some work to do this year. Wow. Well, hopefully it's like last year where City Chick was um. 150%. No, I'm hoping the opposite. <laughs> so, to your point, Julia, City Chick is a plus size women's apparel retailer listed on the ASX. And then they're multi channel. So, they've got both bricks and mortar stores and they also have a large online component. And they yeah, have had an, a pretty incredible 2019, so hoping for those things to continue in 2020. They have a market cap of $515 million, trading at $2.68 at the moment. Sales last year were $148 million, and they made a profit of $77 million. So first point I like about them is the margins that they're able to attract in this niche market is obviously very, very good, particularly for a retailer. So that sort of piqued my interest. Just to close out the financials, they have $12 million in debt and $28 million in cash on their balance sheet. So you can assume, you know, pretty reasonably healthy. They've gone through a bit of a transition lately. They were part of specialty fashion group who used to own the likes of Miller's, Katie's, uh, Rivers. However, those businesses weren't performing so well. So specialty fashion sold them off and decided to keep their crown jewel, which was City Chick because it was performing so well. And I guess they wanted just to focus their attentions on growing City Chick even further. So what they've done is started expanding into the US markets, which is, I guess, what I want to focus on on today. But before I do, any questions, thoughts so far? Well, my uh, my big question off the bat was going to be: Two years ago, they did eight hundred million in revenue, and last year they did one hundred and fifty million in revenue. But I think you've you've just explained why that is the case. It sounds like they sold off. <laughs> yes, exactly. I did look at that, and my heart sunk. Being like, God damn, have I just chosen the dodgiest <laughs> stock you can find? But no, Ren, to your point, that is exactly why. If you do look at their balance sheet, comparing sixteen, seventeen. 18 and 19. The reason you'll see a big drop in revenue is because of the sell-off of all the rest of their businesses and specialty fashion group renamed to City Chick Collective. So uh, that answers your question there, Ren. But I'll continue. So their main growth driver at the moment is City Chick in the US. And they've done this in a couple of ways, both just by expanding through their online presence, which is a massive driver of sales at the moment. But they've also acquired Avenue, which was an e-commerce American clothing chain, also in plus size. And they have, in April of this year, acquired Hips and Curves, another online plus size retailer with a huge following in the US. So 
this is really going to drive their e-commerce presence, which accounts for about two-thirds of their sales at the moment. So another reason why I think for the market they've got and the niche sort of area that they're serving with great brand loyalty, I think this will really help propel their sort of revenue and top-line growth. So what do you guys think? I think it's an interesting one because obviously, Bryce, you've mentioned the niche that they have in size 14 or or higher women's wear, and that's been doing extremely well. And you mentioned the US, and that is a strong driver of growth. I think it's about 20% of of turnover, and their online business is about 44% of sales. On the flip side, I kind of think about what's happening here in Australia at the moment, where we have seen bushfires, devastation, and consumers really being a, a little bit wary about spending. So I guess when you look at retailers at the moment, they fall into two categories, <laughs> ones that are doing extremely well and ones that are not doing well at all or have gone into administration. So we've seen Jeans West going into administration, Harris Scarf going into administration, Myers being under pressure, Kogan I think was down 20% today. And then on the flip side, you've got Premier Investments that owns Peter Alexander and Smiggles reaching record highs, JB Hi-Fi hitting record highs. So I guess my question to you, Bryce, is, you know, given that sort of mixed retail backdrop, where do you see City Chick sort of falling into that line between shooting the lights out and going into administration? I certainly think they're on the side closer to shooting the lights out than they are to going into administration. And I think for me, uh, my my sort of comfort comes from the fact that they are servicing a, a niche market and certainly appear to be the, the, the brand leader, especially in Australia when it comes to that. And I think that carries a lot of weight and importance when it comes to surviving these types of retail environments. Whilst competition is falling away, perhaps not directly competition to them, but retail in in general, to your point, there's a lot going into admin. I think that their brand and their customer loyalty, you know, if you look at some of the stats when it comes to their social media presence, so much of their growth internationally is coming from organic social media sharing of their own clients and and customers. So I think, yeah, I think their brand is what is going to keep them where they are. It's interesting that you mention social media because one of the things that analysts sometimes do when it comes to these strong online brands is have a look at how often search words are looked for. And I think with City Chick, they've been seeing a strong jump in the number of Google searches that have been happening around that name coming specifically from the US. So that sort of backs up your story where the US growth has quite a bit of momentum behind it. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't realize they did they did that. But I mean, it definitely makes sense because, you know, the power of social media these days can be uh, incredibly good for, for businesses. So, And from what I've seen from their socials and reading their 2020 outlook and, and annual report, they make specific reference to the power of social media in their, in their strategy. So, yeah, I think good things to come for them. Fingers crossed they don't go into administration and I'm kicking myself in too much time. <laughs> Bryce is very brave to be picking a fashion retailer when I think thus far in January, we've seen over 200 shop fronts close of uh, clothing retailers. 
So I guess you're really swimming upstream here, picking a primarily bricks and mortar retailer. How do you think they're going to sort of buck the trend that we've kicked off the year with? Well, you say primarily bricks and mortar, but they've got about 200 stores, but the majority of their online, uh, the majority of sales, I think I should... 44% of sales. Yeah, online. 44% oh, okay. is that's, online. So that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, their their growth is really being driven by online and when they acquired Avenue, which was a plus size women's apparel business in the in the states actually going into administration, they filed bankruptcy. They acquired the e-commerce side of the business because they had a very strong database and customer sort of uh, customer base over in the US. So they acquired that and are using that as an avenue into online growth over in the United States. So their focus is certainly on online at the moment. And then I guess my other question is, from the depths of City Chick's share price about two years ago, I think it's up about 2,000%. And from January two years ago to January now, it's up about 1,000%. So there's obviously been a lot of growth that's already come in the share price and it's trading at a multiple of 38 from memory. So what makes you think that some of the growth that you expect to see isn't already priced in? I mean, there is absolutely a chance that it has been priced in, but I think if they can maintain their market position and I guess build on their strength and their brand that they have here in Australia and really grow internationally then the opportunities for for market share and then obviously revenue and profit are going to to grow with that. The size of the US market, as you know, is a hell of a lot bigger than Australia. So if they are successful with that, then I am anticipating another 1,000% this year, Ren. Well, I'm, I'm really just hoping it's <laughs> Can I make two comments? Yes. I really like this business model, but and I, I can see the pros here. It's a niche market, the strong growth in the US. And Bryce, I think you mentioned the size of the US market. I think it's about worth $5 billion compared to Australia, which is worth about $1 billion. But on the flip side, on the con side, the things that I'm watching out for is what are the actual bricks and mortar businesses doing here in Australia? And while they might represent you know less than 50% of sales, that's still a pretty big portion. And if you have a look at where some of those stores are, like for example, Bendigo, where, you know, we've seen bushfires there, would sales there be impacted? How many of those stores are going to be impacted by bushfires? So when I I look at the story of City Chick, I sort of see uh, sort of short-term versus medium-term versus long-term. I think the medium and long-term story is extremely positive, as you mentioned, driven by that US growth, the online sales, and really transforming their company from that bricks and mortar that they were a few years ago to more of an online presence. But I'm scared of reporting season and what they're going to say about their bricks and mortar business. And if you're a long-term believer, that might present an opportunity. But I guess I can see both sides where the long-term stories is is extremely positive, but I'm sort of scared about those bricks and mortar stores, especially in regional Australia. No, it's a very valid point. And I think more generally speaking as well, the the devastation of, of the bushfires and some of the events we've seen recently is going to be interesting to a lot of retailers across the towns that have been absolutely ravaged, I guess. So very valid point. And 
I will be interested to see what they say about their bricks and mortar when they do report. So It's something that I do quite often when it comes to the companies I own where I think bushfires or fire might be impacting. I call the stores and just find out what's happening in town. They think I'm a bit weird, but... um. <laughs> You know, the people working there, you know, they would have the best insight into what's happening on the ground. So I have been known to like call also truck dealerships and ask them why demand is so strong, who's buying the trucks. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, so I just pick up the phone and I start calling. So do you have any insights from the recent bushfires? Have you called any retailers recently? No, no, no. I'm so sad about what's happening at the moment. And I guess when we have a look at the retailers, they have been impacted. For example, today we heard from Super Retail and especially their camping division has been impacted by sales. But look, I think the recovery is going to take about 18 to 24 months. But for example, when car sales were down so strongly, we were still seeing extremely strong growth in trucks and some of the car dealerships were reporting good growth numbers. So I would call those regional car dealerships and I'd say, <laughs> I don't understand. People aren't buying cars, but they're buying trucks. What's going on? And they say, oh, it's because, you know, people are online shopping and Woolies needs more trucks and businesses need more sort of trucks to deliver. So then suddenly, you know, I get a bit more of an insight into what's driving trends. There you go. That's that's interesting. Yeah, no, very good point. An easy way to get some uh, insider information pretty quickly. Well, not so much insider, but information that you wouldn't get otherwise, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So let's move on. Who wants to go next? Me? Sure. Let's do it, Julia. My favorite type of companies are companies that show momentum in not only in terms of the underlying business, but in terms of the share price action as well. So the company that I'm looking at has performed really well over the past year, having a look at zero share price. And uh, in the last year, it's up 100%. But I think it's going to continue to grow strongly. I guess what's been driving zero share price is we've seen sales growth of between 35 to 45% over the past three years. But more importantly, if we have a look at expectations around the next three years, it's quite strong as well. So the three-year earnings outlook, we're expecting to see a compound annual growth rate of 50%. And it's really hard to find strong rates of growth like that. Part of it is that uh, Zero hasn't yet turned a profit. It's made a net loss of about $25 million for the past two years. But it does look like this year is going to be a pivotal year where it does make its first year of profit. For anyone that doesn't know what Zero is, it's the largest provider of accounting software to the small and medium business sector. And while we love numbers, most of the population really hates numbers, especially if you're running a business and you don't have time to concentrate on the accounts. So they have a software as a service, an accounting package. And what happens is you put all your invoices in there and it does your bookkeeping and it's really sticky. It's like a bank account. Once you're in there, you don't really want to move it across to somewhere else because that's going to be a huge job in itself. So it's quite a a sticky service. It's got about 2.1 million users. So I guess firstly, I'll open it up to questions. I do have a question around the profit side. You mentioned they haven't generated a profit for two years. And this is just more of a broad question, I guess. From your point of view, how long with such great growth behind it, how long would you give it if it didn't turn a profit this year before you sort of started asking questions? I mean, you look at some of the tech companies overseas and 
they're still not turning profits yet people just keep on investing it's a balancing act i think if they weren't to make a profit this year then i i would probably question um the investment the investment case for this particular company and look when you have a look at the life cycle of a company it goes from sort of subscriber growth to hopefully revenue growth to earnings growth and then profit and really zero is at that pivotal or that inflection point where it's about to move into the profit stage. The reason why I like the profitability of a company like this is because of the stickiness and the reoccurring revenue that comes through. So a plus for uh, zero is its stickiness and its ability to increase fees. But on the negative side is that, you know, has it seen the best of its growth already behind it, especially here in Australia? Is it more of a mature company and is it going to be a lot more difficult to grow? And have a look and will it have to tap those overseas markets like the US and the UK where it is also trying to grow, but especially in the US where it's a lot more competitive and more difficult to grow, is it going to have to pursue uh, riskier endeavours to be able to maintain valuations and the momentum that we're seeing in terms of the share price? So I guess there's some of the things that I'm questioning with Zero at the moment. The reason I like it is because I also subscribe to Zero. I have about four companies at the moment and to keep track of all the accounts and invoices. I have a number of zero accounts and I know that zero is increasing its fees from the 18th of March by $2 a month across its user base. So that's an instant hit to revenue and that's really going to be supportive of not only revenue growth, but it looks like profit here as well. So I think we'll probably see lower rates of subscriber growth coming from Australia, but the UK is also a underutilized market. So I'd expect to see zero concentrating on uh, the UK market. The other thing I look for is catalysts. And one thing that's really helped zero over the past year is the Australian government passed single touch payroll legislation. And that started last year on the 1st of July. And that's for small employers, ones that have uh, five to 19 employees. And that really drove a lot of business for, into zero. But now from the 30th of June this year, that's going to start for micro employers, which is one to four employees and that should once again help drive subscriber numbers as well. So look, I think the next 12 to 18 months will be strong for zero. So I'm extremely confident in the short term. My bigger question mark for zero is the medium to long term. Where does that growth continue to come from? Yeah, Julia, I'm just looking at its revenue growth over the last few years and it is a pretty nice sight to behold. It looks like sort of 50%, 50% plus revenue growth every year, which is great if it can keep doing that. But I guess I guess the flip side of that and something I'm interested in your thoughts on is it made about $600 million in revenue last financial year, but its market cap is about $12 billion, which is high. Its price to sales is about 20. For comparison, I just had a look at Google or Alphabet and Al- even another tech company, its price to sales is at about 7 so how do you think about the valuation that the market has for zero and uh, how do you think they're going to meet the market's expectations? 
If the company is a fast-growing company, I'm not so worried about the valuation metrics. So things like the PE ratio and if there's no earnings, the price-to-sales ratio. These are things that tell us whether something's relatively cheap or expensive at one point in time. So that's today. But once you see that growth coming through and profit accelerating or sales accelerating, those numbers also come down rapidly. So the way I look at it is a high multiple really tells you that you're paying a premium now. And if I'm paying a premium, premium now for something, the question I ask is, well, what do I want in return for that premium I'm paying now? And the answer for me as an investor is I want greater future growth. And as long as that company is able to fulfill my growth expectations, I don't mind paying a premium now for a high growth company. The problem becomes when you pay a premium now and that growth isn't fulfilled. And then of course, you know, the valuation comes back down to earth to fulfill those, to reflect those unrealistic expectations. So for me, when I'm investing in a growth business, I'm not concerned with those higher growth multiples, as long as the growth expectations are not only able to be fulfilled, but also exceeded. I think when high multiples become a problem is when you start to see hurting behavior or you start to see exuberance in terms of a particular sector. But for zero, I like it because it is the standard in terms of small and medium enterprises and it does have strong growth rates. I would become cautious and I have become cautious over zero a number of times in the past where it does look like competitors are gaining some traction. And there's been a couple of times in the past where I've been a lot more subdued on zero. One was when they were looking to launch WISE, W-W-W-I-S-E. And this is a joint venture between Commonwealth Bank, Microsoft and KPMG. And I thought that might become a big competitor to zero here in the Australian market. But we haven't really been seeing that eating into a huge market share and it looks like they're targeting larger businesses. So that's not too much of a worry. And the other time where I was quite worried about zero in the marketplace was when Intuit, which is a large US payroll and accounting business, was investing here in Australia, that they might start to become a major competitor. So look, for the Australian market, I'm not so worried in terms of the competitive landscape at the moment. That could change if there's more investment coming through from some of its competitors. But over in the US, I'm more worried about Zero's growth, whereas in the UK, I think it's prime for Zero because it's quite an underutilized market. In terms of competitors, Julia, the only one I knew in this space before coming across Zero was Myob. MYOB, Myob. Yeah, uh, and they were taken yeah. over. They're, they're no longer listed on the market. Yeah, right. So who, who bought them? I think it was a private equity company that uh, oh, okay. at MYOB. And I guess as a user, you might not, I mean, if, if you haven't used my, but I'm interested to know why you think Zero, Zero is like the sort of uh, front runner when it comes to this offering, because I know that, you know, when I was at uni, a lot of the businesses that I sort of worked for, they small businesses, they all used Myob. I'm wondering if you have any comment on that. Sure. So when it used to be software, uh, Myob was very popular. Where Zero has really excelled is in software as a service. So in the, the cloud area where you don't have to have things on your computer, it's yeah. in the cloud and there's multiple users. So not only do I connect to my Zero account, but uh, I have a bookkeeper who helps me with the accounts and my accountant as well when it comes to the quarterly BAS statements as well as end of year filings. So I can invite people, a number of people to help me with my accounts and give them access to my accounts. And that's really been Zero's uh, strong 
point, the whole cloud moving its software to the cloud and becoming software as a service, which means that it's pretty sticky. And then the other thing is when I look for people to help me with my accounts, most people can work on zero, where it's harder to find someone that does MYOB. Interesting. Mm. Anything else you'd like to add or any questions, Ren? Not anything else. I mean, I, I'm fascinated by this stock and by the the wax stocks yeah. more generally. So definitely something I'll be watching closely. But unfortunately, or actually probably fortunately for me, I haven't had to deal with too much accounting software in my time. So um, it's a bit of a blind spot for me, really. Maybe we should be, but we just don't know it yet. Tomorrow, I'm going to start calling accountants and ask them whether they prefer Zero or MYOB. And that triggered a memory for me. One of the reasons I signed up to Zero was I was speaking to my accountant and they said um, that they were familiar with Zero, but not so much MYOB. And that was why I went with Zero as well. Nice, Ren. Well, you ready to kick into yours? Yeah, I guess so. I'm a, I'm a little bit nervous about mine, but no time like the present, I guess. Well, yeah, you've got no choice, really. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you nervous? I'm really curious now. So I'm uh, going to talk about a company that is share prices down about 30% from its high in 2019. And expectations are that its earnings or its profit are going to be down about 40% for uh, 2019. (laughs) Why do you like it? So we talk about not catching falling knives where we think there's value in a stock when it's actually uh, just, you know, falling. And I could be doing it here. But anyway, I'll give it a crack. So the company that I'm talking about is Ituran Location and Control. It's an American company on the NASDAQ exchange. Its ticker is ITRN. So a little bit about the company. It's an Israeli company that provides stolen vehicle recovery and tracking services. It was founded in 1994. It IPO'd in Israel in 1998. And then in 2005, 2005, it also listed on the NASDAQ in America. It operates in Israel, which is about 30% of its business, Brazil, which is about 30% again, and then also Argentina and Mexico. And essentially, they protect vehicles from being stolen and recover them once they are stolen. The company claims they've thwarted the theft of 28,000 vehicles with a value of over $2 billion. So it's a little bit of an out-there company. Any questions so far? How did you find this company? I was actually reading some of uh, some 2020 outlooks and stuff like that. And there was a, a thing about this company and it sort of piqued my interest. And I started reading a little bit more about it and thought it was an interesting one. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I have a question. Um, so you said that earnings uh, forecast to fall by 44%. So um, I'm just looking up some of the numbers and basically earnings per share have, have been falling for the last four quarters. So basically for a year. Why have, have earnings been falling? Yeah, so the business is highly exposed to Latin America. Brazil is 30% of its business. It's also big in Argentina and Mexico. And so as the economies over there struggle or as the exchange rate, as their currencies depreciate against the dollar, uh-huh. uh, their reporting in US dollar is hurt. And so I'll get into why I like the company and then I'll uh, come back to that risk and some of the other risks around it. So the business is a subscription business. 70% of its revenue comes from recurring subscriptions. Uh, They have about 1.8 million subscribers across the countries they operate in. And then the remaining 30% of their revenue is in one-off sales. And even though their earnings are falling because of the exchange rate problems, What we're actually saying is that they have a very low churn rate on their subscribers, about 3% a month, and their net subscriber numbers are growing quite nicely. Between F13 and F18, their subscriber numbers compounded at 19% a year, and between 2004 and 2018, their subscriber numbers have compounded at about 15% a year. Uh, So they're just a business that continues to get more and more subscribers and then gets them onto that subscription revenue path and then has uh, very sticky recurring revenues. So that that was what first attracted me to the business. There are also some things about the countries they operate in that are that make them quite sticky and lead to the recurring revenue. So in Israel, uh, many insurance companies actually require customers to have a service like this because as I found out, Israel has astronomically high levels of car theft. And so that makes them very sticky in Israel. And they have about an 80% market share in Israel. Similarly, in Brazil and Argentina and Mexico, there's quite high rates of crime and quite low rates of insurance. So again, it makes the service very valuable and it makes that recurring subscription revenue very sticky. The other two things that I like about the company, they've self-funded a lot of their growth. So their net debt is about $20 million, which is about one times their earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. And they haven't grown their shares outstanding in several years. So it means that they're taking their free cash flow and reinvesting it in the business, opening up new markets in Argentina and Mexico, and continuing to grow organically. And then the final thing that I like about them is that their two co-founders remain their largest shareholders, and insiders own about 19% of the company. So incentives between management and shareholders are quite aligned. Nice. Sounds good. <laughs> I'm just trying to think, how, do you know how they actually do it? Like what, what is it that is making them so successful at anti-theft? So it, do, it doesn't seem that complicated what they're doing. They essentially have tracking devices in the car that are either GPS or basically use cell towers to like ping when they're close to cell towers. And essentially, all they do is 
If someone steals the car, they tell the police where the car is and their average recovery time is about 20 minutes according to the company. So it's not it's not overly complicated. It's not high tech. It's just found a niche that people find valuable. Yeah, I think to your point about being niche, I, I guess there are particular countries where this service would do very well and others where it's probably not so so needed. Do they have plans for growth, I guess, throughout other parts of Latin America or into South America or anything like that? It sounds like they do. It sounds like Mexico is early in the growth journey. It, it also sounds like this business is um, high fixed cost when they enter a new market to set up all the tracking equipment and then low incremental cost to add each additional customer because it's essentially just putting another tracking device to use their existing infrastructure, which is which is great when you're talking about self-funding growth in existing markets because it's low incremental cost, high incremental earnings. But I guess if they're going to self-fund their growth, they have to be quite methodical about entering new markets. And so I think that's why they've sort of they've got 80% market share in Israel. They're now growing quite strongly in Brazil and now they're sort of looking at what's next. So, you know, this company's been around since 1994 and they're in four countries. So, I think slow and steady wins the race with these guys. Yeah. But, you know, if they compound their subscribers at, you know, 15 to 20% a year, and if they can continue doing that, then there's probably a good story as they go. It's interesting because I can see that the share price was around about $22 in December and it's already recovered up to about $25, almost $26. So it looks like this seems to be a bottom in place. It looks like a, a, an interesting one. The, when I, I look at companies with that operate in multiple countries and you want to strip out the currency effect, often you try and look at that growth on a, a constant currency basis or a same currency basis so that it strips out the currency impact and you can track what's happening in the underlying business. But it makes a lot of sense what you say about having high capital costs initially and then being able to jump off that and see um, higher rates of growth with low costs as the company's in a country for longer. Is, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And as they get more more users using the infrastructure, so they fractionalize the cost of the infrastructure across more and more subscribers. I tried to look at the website and it was in Hebrew, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just managed to find the English button. <laughs> well, aside from the currency risk with them and also I guess the risk that you know the Argentine elections don't go the right way and their market tanks again or, you know, Bolsonaro does something in Brazil and something happens there to their economy. They had a big security vulnerability last year. And I think that also contributed to the fall in the share price. I think uh, hackers were able to access the tracking software and then were able to you know, track the cars essentially. The company claims that they've addressed that security breach. But if there were whispers that there were more security problems, that would be a massive red flag given that they're in the business of securing high-value assets. Maybe they need to have a premium service where a big security guard just stands at the door of the car while you're not there. <laughs> <laughs> not bad. I'll pitch it to them. But just having a look at some of the analysts that cover this stock, the only real analyst that covers this stock, I think, is David Kelly from Jefferies over in the US, and he has a buy rating on the stock with a $29 price target, I think. 
The stock's at about 25.72 at the moment, so trading below that target. So when I look at the chart, it says 100% buy, but there's only one analyst that covers the stock. <laughs> where, where, do you, 100%. where do you find that information, Julia? So I subscribe to share market information, oh, yeah. Yeah, right, on your terminal. Nice. Well, good stock, Ren. I liked incredibly different. And again, and this, I guess, why, you know, I love investing so much is just getting exposed to a business idea and model that I've never even thought of. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed that one. So are you going to invest, do you think? Well, this is this conversation is just general in nature. So, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I want to so follow cool. this up <laughs> next year to see who, who won 2020. 2020, yes, absolutely. Well, <laughs> this, this actually wasn't my stock of the year for 2020, but I think now it should have been. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no. Well, it's just not for 2020. <laughs> My stock for 2020 was Atomos, ASX code AMS. They make monitor recorders, uh, which can be added to camera setups to make them, you know, have uh, high definition and more storage and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll, yeah. I'll track both of those companies with interest. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll choose um, which of the two companies I want to use for my stock. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Into the year, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, that brings us to the end of uh, the first mastermind for 2020. We'll try and bring a new episode every month or as best we can because I know, you know, Ren and I, both very much love this episode, Julia, as does our audience as well. It's an awesome way to talk stock specific and also get an insight into how you go about your thinking when it comes to investing in all these different types of stocks. So thanks for, for joining us for the first time Pleasure. this year. Love chatting to you guys and your ideas. Well, sometimes they're not the best ideas, but um, <laughs> that, that's why we're here, right? So appreciate your, your time and very much looking forward to our next episode. Look forward to it. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.